What a week it has been. Like so many of you, we've been monitoring the COVID-19 coronavirus situation uh, for the last few weeks. Obviously, that intensified quite a bit this last week. Um, Wednesday, things started coming out all throughout the day on Twitter and news, and I was watching it all come out. But that night, we had our normal restore group. And so um, we went to that, and uh, it didn't feel quite normal, though. It was a little bit different. We sat around the living room like we normally do. Uh, Our group has a ton of kids, so they were running in and out during our discussion like they normally do. But the conversation was a little bit different. We talked about um, what life might look like in the coming days and weeks and months if coronavirus continued to move through our community and our country. Uh, We talked about different ones of us who have work spaces that were asking us to work from home, um, different measures that people were taking. And Uh, We prayed together at the end like we do every Wednesday night, but again, this prayer felt a little bit heavier. As the kids were running in and out, we prayed for our kids. We prayed for our families. We prayed especially for our parents, elderly, the immunocompromised among us, any vulnerable people in our city and around our country and around the world. And that night, um, with kind of a heavy heart, I went home, and when I got home, I turned on ESPN. And uh, on ESPN, I was expecting to watch a basketball game, but instead of a basketball game, I saw an announcement that the NBA had uh, totally paused the rest of their season. Now, I think it sounds maybe a little ridiculous, but honestly, that was the moment. That was the moment that it really hit. An $8 billion a year industry totally pressing pause on the rest of their season, literally pulling players off the court. I knew that this was going to be a big deal. President Trump, about that same time, started announcing travel restrictions to other nations. And I went to sleep that night, and I woke up Thursday morning, and I jumped on two different conference calls. The first one was with a group of about 100 pastors across the country, and we talked about how the church is responding. And the second one was with the Austin Disaster Relief Network. And that one was really important because it was partially led by an official from the Austin Public Health Department. And during our time together, I remember one guy from another church asked the question, when should we start thinking about shutting down our in-person church gatherings? And the Austin Public Health official said, right now, you should think about doing it right now. And so later that day, really later that morning, we made the decision to gather only online today and, and kind of into the foreseeable future. Then, as you know, over the next 48 hours, colleges and universities extended their spring breaks. Basically, everyone I saw extended their spring breaks. Most of them are going online only when they come back for the rest of the spring. Almost every collegiate uh, sport has shut down for the rest of the winter and the rest of the spring. They're talking about giving eligibility back to seniors who didn't get to compete in their sports if they want to come back next year. The Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, and basically every other professional sport has shut down. Austin Independent School District um, has closed all of their schools to outside events. That includes churches like ours who meet in middle schools around this city. And then Thursday night, that night, I went to my son's soccer practice, and uh, everything was fairly normal, although, again, there was a little bit of a weird tone. And after practice ended, the coach pulled us all aside and said, hey, we are planning to have our game on Saturday as of right now, but... We're not sure about what's going to happen next. And literally hours later, we got an email saying that the soccer was canceled for the foreseeable future. All that to say, we are living through a situation unlike anything any of us have ever experienced. But this is not a time for fear and for panic. And I also don't think it's the time for being careless and brash, especially in the name of having great faith. Our response to this must be measured and it must be informed by our relationship with Jesus. 
You see, in these uncertain and really unparalleled times, the best option we have is to dive even deeper into loving God and loving our neighbors really well. Now, if you've been connected to our church, Restore, anytime since last August, you know we've been in this thing we're calling a year in the greatest commandment. And throughout the year, we've been looking at what Jesus said was of ultimate importance. That is loving God and loving our neighbor. We spent most of the fall talking about what it means to love God and what it means to be loved by God. And then as the calendar turned into 2020, we spent this entire spring talking about what does it look like to love others? Whereas Jesus said to love our neighbors as ourselves. What a perfect message for such a time as this. You see, in his letter to the church in Corinth, a pastor named Paul describes the characteristics of this kind of neighbor love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, even if you don't have much of a church background, chances are you're familiar with that passage or you've at least heard it before. It's often called the wedding chapter because of how often it's used and read during wedding ceremonies. But for Paul, this passage was about way more than a marriage. You see, this love wasn't theoretical or ethereal for Paul. He had such a radical experience with this kind of love from Christians and from God that he went from shutting down churches to literally starting new ones. He went from killing Christians to dying for the cause of Christ at the end of his life. As you saw from that video that played right before I came up, we're in this teaching series called What is Love? During this series, we've been working through these characteristics from 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul enumerates, and we wanted to learn better what love really is so that we can better love our neighbor as Jesus commanded us to. I mentioned last night on Facebook that I began a full rewrite of this Sunday's message on Thursday. We were originally slated to look at how love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. But I knew that the events of this week, what is happening in our cities and in our country and in our world were simply too heavy. They were too important to just slip them in to an existing message. We needed to do a total different look. We needed a new characteristic of love from this passage. And it was so amazing because I didn't have to go very far to find the right one. See, literally the very next words out of Paul's pen are love always protects. Love always protects. At this moment in history, we absolutely need a love that protects our neighbors. So what does this look like? Well, as I said in our video announcement from Thursday, it looks like working to be a part of the solution, not to be a part of the problem. It looks like being proactive, not reactive. I I truly don't believe this is a time for overreaction, but I do believe that this is a time to do everything that we can to protect and care for the most vulnerable in our communities and in our cities. A big part of that was canceling our in-person gatherings this week and for the next few weeks as well. But listen, that was just the beginning. As a church family, we are preparing to do everything we can to love and protect and serve our neighbors during this 
time. Why? Because this is what Jesus meant when he said the most important thing we can do is love God and love others. Loving and protecting our fellow human is at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. This is our identity in Christ. Love always protects. A more uh, different word for the words of the translation in 1 Corinthians 13 is love bears all things. What a beautiful way of describing what this protective neighbor love looks like. That phrasing, love bears all things, echoes another instruction from Paul in one of his letters to the church in Galatia. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is this law of Christ that he's talking about? Well, it's the same thing that we've been talking about this entire message and throughout this entire year. Love God and love others. That is the law of Christ. That is the greatest commandment. How do we fulfill this law? How do we fulfill this most important command from Jesus? Paul says it clearly, bear one another's burdens because love bears all things. This is it, y'all. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. This is what it means to be a light in a world that is a little bit dark right now. We love our neighbors with a love that always protects, that always bears burdens. And listen, these are more than just words on a page of a 2,000-year-old letter. This is our heritage as Christians. See, in the third century, about 250 AD, what came to be known as the Plague of Cyprian broke out across the Roman Empire. Modern scholars believe it was measles or smallpox or some other fast-spreading disease, but regardless of what it was exactly, at its height, 5,000 people a day were dying just in the city of Rome. And you have to remember, this was still very early in the days of Christianity. Christians were seen as more of a cult than a religion, and they suffered extreme persecution during this time. In fact, when the plague broke out, Christians were blamed for the disease by the governing authorities. But instead of becoming embittered, instead of becoming defensive, Christians all over the Roman Empire stepped out in faith and began caring for the sick and the dying. A bishop named Dionysus was on the front lines during this time. He and other priests mobilized Christians to protect and care for their neighbors. And later in his life, Dionysus reflect back, reflected back on that time. Here's what he wrote. Certainly, very many of our brethren in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness did not spare themselves, but kept by each other. They visited the sick without thought of their own peril, ministered to them with great care, and treated them for their healing in Christ. Many even died, most joyfully, along with them, drawing upon themselves their neighbors' diseases, and willingly taking on the burdens and the sufferings of those around them. Even when everyone else was fleeing affected areas all across the Roman Empire, including people like doctors and pagan priests and governing authorities, even when they were running away, Christians stayed behind. Christians chose to bear the burdens of our neighbors because that it, that's what it means to be a Christian. We love God and we love others with a love that always protects that always bears the burdens of our neighbors. This same thing happened a century before during the Antonine Plague and a few centuries later during the Justinian Plague, and it has kept happening. All over the world during every major crisis, Christians have shown up 
to love our neighbors with a love that protects. Now, by no means have we done this perfectly. If you know me at all, you know that I'm quick to point out the mistakes, the hypocrisy of the church and her people, but listen, I am still here. I am still a pastor. We are still a church, and we are more committed than ever of carrying forward this legacy of neighbor love. That is what we need right now in our world. Because we truly believe that love like this is the hope of the world, especially in times like these. Showing up to protect and care for our neighbors is who we are as Christians. It is the core of our faith. It is in our very DNA, not just from the legacy of our brothers and sisters from times gone by, but from Jesus himself. I love how one of my favorite pastors, Brian Zond, describes this. He says, Jesus has taught us to see the sick, the poor, the prisoner, and the stranger as his brothers, as our brothers, as Jesus himself. Now, this is something entirely new. It was not something bequeathed to us by a pagan world. It was not something the pagan world was capable of producing. See, in the Genesis story, before he moved east of Eden to found human civilization, Cain cynically asked, am I my brother's keeper? This is how Cain justified himself before God. Cain obviously didn't think he was his brother's caregiver, and neither did Pharaoh or Caesar, the heirs of Cain's city. But in reconfiguring the world around love, instead of competition, Jesus answered Cain's question with a resounding yes, and then said to us, and here are your brothers, take care of them. It is naive and historically unwarranted to think that this kind of compassion, care for those least able to contribute to the welfare of the community would be regarded as a virtue without Jesus Christ. This is the legacy he left us. Jesus has saved the world from the self-centered, brother-denying ethic witnessed in Cain, an ethic that viewed the helpless as undeserving of aid and unworthy of compassion. After all, it was the followers of Jesus who pioneered such radical innovations as hospitals, orphanages, leprosariums, almshouses, relief for the poor, and public education. The idea that the world somehow or other would have arrived at an ethical worldview that could produce such charitable practices and institutions without Christ is an idea wholly lacking in evidence. The radical love of Jesus and his followers changed the world forever. But this is not only our legacy it's not only our past, it is for right now. It is our mandate for today. From the plagues of old to the problems of right now, Christians are called to love and serve and protect. We are called to bear the burdens of our fellow human. Now, thankfully, we are not facing issues of the same severity as our sisters and brothers from the first few centuries. While serious, certainly, COVID-19 isn't nearly as treacherous as the plagues that I just described. And it's really important to note that the best ways to help people right now are different too. Whereas it made sense to rush toward the sick who had been abandoned by doctors and government during a plague, today we are doing our best not to spread the virus and overload hospitals like we've seen across other countries. Experts say social distancing is the best way to help people in need. But while the dangers and the solutions are very different, our opportunity right now 
to show our neighbors the love of Jesus is the same. So how do we do that? What does love look like in the midst of this coronavirus? Well, first I wanna tell you what you shouldn't be doing. You shouldn't be making hand sanitizer in your bathtub, okay? Please don't do that. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that one in particular. That is a really bad idea. It's gonna make you sick. Things may blow up. Don't do it. Just wash your hands. Wash your hands. Another thing you shouldn't be doing, buying up all of the toilet paper and the Lysol wipes. I know the memes are funny, but panic buying is a really bad idea. You see, seeing empty shelves just increases people's fears, and it also prevents people from being able to get the things they actually need in reasonable quantities. Our beloved Texas grocer, H-E-B, made this statement on Friday. H-E-B has been preparing for the COVID-19 virus, and we are in strong position to keep replenishing shelves. Our customers shouldn't panic. We continue to restock shelves. We encourage preparedness, not stockpiling. Preparedness, not stockpiling. Please buy what you need and listen to this. Leave some for your neighbors behind you. H-E-B is telling us to neighbor love like Jesus told us to neighbor love. Leave some for your neighbors behind you. Believe it or not, refraining from panic buying is a very real and practical way we can love and protect our neighbors during this time. Now, if you've already stockpiled a bunch of stuff, I'm not here to shame you. In fact, I wanna give you an idea of maybe a better way to use some of that in just a second. Next, things you shouldn't do. Stop making jokes about how this is basically just a vacation for you or about how none of this matters because you're young and only old people are dying, or about how you love the coronavirus because you're an introvert and you love social distancing because you hate being around people. Look, I get it, keeping things light is good, but please remember that this is a really serious deal for a lot of people. When schools close, it hurts the most vulnerable among us. Some of us are able to take our kids home. We're able to take off of work or work from home, and it's not a big deal, but there are thousands and millions of people across this country who can't go to work when their kids are home. There are millions of kids across this country who don't get full meals when they are at home. The best food they get is at school, and they are going to be without it during these weeks and months. People are losing jobs. People in gig economies and the service industry are struggling. Hourly workers are not getting paid right now. The stock market is plummeting. I have great friends, you have great friends, not only whose retirement is in the stock market, my parents are literally retiring this summer, worried about what retirement looks like for them now. Good friends who spend their days and their jobs working in the market. If the market doesn't affect you, that's great. But don't make jokes about how it doesn't matter. And this should go without saying, but people are sick. People are, are literally dying. Let's just take it seriously. Because when we make underhanded and mean-spirited jokes, it communicates that we don't really care about our neighbors very well. Lastly, on things you shouldn't be doing, and this is really important, don't spread false information about the coronavirus. This is not a judgment from God inflicted on our nation and on our world because he's mad at us. 
It's not a right-wing conspiracy to consolidate our government's power. It's not a left-wing conspiracy to tank the markets and get a Democrat in office. China isn't doing all this to make us all communists. Russia isn't doing all of this to get Trump reelected. Before sharing something on social media, please check the source. But even more than that, ask yourself, is sharing this a way to love my neighbor? I'm telling you, I think that would prevent most of us from sharing some of the junk that's being shared right now. Is this a way to love my neighbor? Those are things you shouldn't be doing. Now listen, here's what you should be doing. I want to give you three very practical things that we can be doing during this time. The first one is listen. We need to listen to actual experts, not friends on social media, but actual experts, people like the CDC and the World Health Organization. Listen to the instructions of our leaders. As of this morning in our city, Mayor Adler and the city of Austin have prohibited all community gatherings over 250 people. I know some of you are watching from Dallas where 500 people or more can't gather. I know some of you are watching from San Francisco where 50 people or more can't gather. Our leaders are not doing this because it's somehow beneficial to them. This is probably some of the hardest decisions that they have ever had to make. They are doing it to limit the spread of COVID-19 in our communities. This is happening in cities all across the country and in countries all across the world. Like I said a second ago, it made sense for our brothers and sisters in the first few centuries to rush toward the sick and the hurting, to gather in groups and care for people because people had been totally abandoned by doctors and governing authorities. That is not the situation that we are in. The best thing that we can do to give people the neighbor love that protects them, that bears their burdens right now, is to do things like social distancing, to listen to the CDC, to the World Health Organization, and to your local leaders. Take it seriously. Here at Restore, we are trying to love our community and and city well by modeling what it looks like to follow our leaders. That means canceling our in-person gatherings for a while and encouraging people to practice social distancing. Lastly, listen to the people around you. Listen to their stories. Listen to their hardships. Listen to the way that this thing is affecting them. Don't just focus on the way it's affecting you. Listen to how it's affecting them. You see, during times of crisis like this, we have the unique ability to recognize our shared humanity a little bit more clearly than normal. If we are intentional about it, we can actually get to know people and really empathize with each other over the coming weeks and months. Listen, that's the first thing. The second thing is to serve. I want you to check on the people around you. Text them, message them, your neighbors, your family, your friends, and listen, especially vulnerable people around you. The elderly, the sick, and people with pre-existing health conditions. A quick run to the store or the pharmacy could be a huge gift for them at a time like this. You pick something up for them, you leave it on their doorstep, you ring the doorbell and you say, hey, I'm just here to help. Check on people during this time. As more people get quarantined, shopping for them and their families is going to be a major need. We are getting ready for this here at Restore by preparing to mobilize volunteers. In fact, a number of you have already reached out to us to help people in need. We are going to be connecting volunteers with needs over the coming weeks and months because we believe that serving each other, carrying each other's burdens during this time is so important. That's number two. Listen, serve, 
Number three is give. Now listen, if you did panic buy so much canned food that you can barely store it, consider donating some of it. The Central Texas Food Bank has been a community partner of ours for years, and they do incredible work in our area. If you're in another area, food banks are a great place to donate items. Like I mentioned earlier, there are kids all over our city who usually get food from schools that probably won't be able to have that for a while. So donate if you can. Maybe you have a resource that you can share with someone else something that you can lend to them during this time that they really can't get anywhere else. I already told you that our incredible team transformed this office space that I'm standing in right now into a studio over the last few days. And at the suggestion of our amazing technical director, Chase Fullerton, we have opened it up to Austin area pastors and churches who don't have a place like this to film or live stream. Chase even volunteered to help run equipment for people who use it all for free, all for free. I bet if you really think about it, you have something that you can share too, a resource that you can give to people during a time like this. And last, under give, give financially. In our church's four-year existence, we've given away about $150,000 to people in need in our community and around the world. We are getting ready to ramp that up even more in the coming days, as Pastor John talked about earlier. Through our benevolence teams and community partnerships, we are already preparing to help people who have needs due to the coronavirus. If you'd like to support that effort, you can go to restoreaustin.org slash give, Venmo, or PayPal. But whether you are listening, serving, giving, or all three over the next few months, now is the time to show up Now is the time to love people really well. Now is the time to bear the burdens of our neighbors. And I think it all starts with thinking about others first. In another one of Paul's letters, this time to a church in Philippi, he says exactly that. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Others, others, others. Three different times in two sentences, Paul shifts the focus from ourselves to others. Listen, you may not think this is a big deal. You may just be ready to to keep going, to go out to concerts and bars and big community gatherings, and you may just not care because you're young and you're healthy, and even if you get it, you're not worried about it. But I'm telling you, the thing that communicates to our neighbors, especially the most vulnerable, is not that you don't care about the coronavirus, it's that you don't care about them. And that's a big deal. And if you are a Christian, that is the exact opposite of what you should be communicating to people right now. We need to be giving people a love that protects, a love that bears each other's burdens. Paul talks about that importance of seeing others first. And if we want to love our neighbors like Jesus loves us, that's where it starts. There's a Christian writer named Cameron Bellum from Seattle, one of the hardest hit areas by the coronavirus. She wrote something that she is calling prayer for a pandemic earlier this week. When I read it, I found it just incredibly and profoundly moving, and I want to read it over us, to pray it over us as we get ready to wrap up this morning. So wherever you are, however you are watching this, I want you to close your eyes and let these words just wash over you. Prayer 
for a pandemic. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health and making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those who have no place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home remember those who have no home. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors.